You're listening to The LaunchCast, the podcast about leadership, business, life, and growth with me, your host, George Andriopoulos. It's like food for your ears. Who's our next sponsor? Oh, a personal revolution podcast. Fabrizio, let's do that, that personal development music, that happy stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Guys, the good folks at Personal Revolution Podcast want to know if you've been stuck inside wondering how to take charge of your life. Is there something that you want to do but you haven't been able to do yet? I know that's been the case for me this week trying to get out of my house to record this commercial, but that's not what they're talking about. In Personal Revolution, best-selling author and life coach Allison Task helps you to take control of your life with inspiration and humor so that you move from where you are now to where you want to be and you have fun doing it. It's like having a personal coach whispering in your ear. This three-month podcast course, along with bonus episodes each month, will help you create a clear vision for what you want out of life, remove the frustrating blocks that are holding you back, develop a detailed action plan that will drive you to where you wanna be, and build the network that will help to create your future. The Personal Revolution Podcast comes with a personal workbook and real-time access to a community of other change makers working toward their goals with positivity, possibility, and momentum. And for a limited time, all of this is available to you for free. Download the Himalaya app in your app store, look up Personal Revolution, and enter promo code REVOLUTION at checkout to get your first month absolutely free. If you're ready to go after a better life, you are ready for Personal Revolution. Cut the music, Fabrizio. At this time, I'm going to ask that you fasten your seatbelts. Launch sequence. Launch sequence activated. Launch sequence activated. Five, four, three, two... Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to the launch cast. See that? Goosebumps. Oh, it's a good one today. Episode 117, it's the Thriller in Manila 3. Cordon, Andriopolis, bringing it to you one more time. I'm not going to say one last time. It's the launch dad himself, George Andriopolis, bringing you your favorite podcast on the planet in prime time tonight as the beat drops. Ooh. Tell me that's not your favorite podcast theme ever. Who else has a podcast theme like that? Guys, it's a good one today. There he is. The man, the myth, the newly bald legend. My guest tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Mark Cordon, thank you, my friend, for joining me. I have been like over the moon about this episode, man. Dude, this was this one was supposed to go down. We had been waiting to 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 be in the same town to feel the energy, but the the fact of the matter is is that it's going down now. We have to make things happen. We got to come together as a community and I mean, I hope everybody watching right now wherever you are just sending you love. Um I'm going to have to pummel George on his own show today out of love. <laughs> 
Well, let me let me tell I'm everybody. Two podcasters. <laughs> <laughs> I'm coming for the title today. It's let me tell. Thank, let, you. thank you, man. Thank you. Let me tell everybody uh, the the thriller in Manila three. By the way, we're spelling Manila with two L's because this guy is as sweet as vanilla, and he's Filipino, and I spelled it wrong <laughs> last week. So yeah, that's my excuse tonight. Thriller in Manila three, part one. Part one. Well, we did our sparring, right, on the Golden Mike Live, and we'll get into that later. We did our sparring on a couple of episodes of the Golden Mike Live. That's where we, we warmed up to each other. And then that Golden was a warm up? I thought that was like full fists flying, bro. No, not not <laughs> the first two episodes, but episode two hundred oh, we... of the Golden Mike. That's where I yeah. took I took a goddamn chair and I broke it over that big melon of yours. <laughs> yeah, that's that's probably why I had to shave all my hair off is because it's, it's been in a knot ever since you hit me on the over my dome, bro. <laughs> and it's then, all good, man. And it's then part good. two, part two was when I came on the Golden Mike podcast, and you picked me apart psychologically. <laughs> he's like he's he's like the game. He's the psychological killer. <laughs> Time to play the game. <laughs> I had my poker face on. I came at, if anyone's been to the LaunchCast studio, I mean, gosh darn it. I mean, my show is called The Golden Mic, and there's more gold, golden mics in that studio than I think Fort Knox, man. That's right. Come on, man. That's how we do it here. That's how we do it. And now it is time. I want to get into it, man. Uh, let me do the brief bio here. As per usual with my notes, Mark Cordone, MPH, is a positive psychology coach, the co-founder of the Joy Revolution, author of the book Beyond Resilient, The Coach's Guide to Ecstatic Growth. He specializes in transitions, leadership, performance, and well-being. Have you ever read the book of Launchpad 516? I, does, it, it, did, does it say that I just podcasted your ass? Is that a thing? <laughs> I guess I just you just did. This is the way you're gonna start it, man. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna be firing back pretty soon. That's fine with That's me. Finish, I took over your show. I took over your show. Feel like free. A, finish the intro like a good host host would do. So, so so I can drop some knowledge on you, son. I'm gonna be muting Mark in a second, guys, and take him <laughs> off the screen. <laughs> All right, back to it. Um, and well-being, helping people break through to the next level to find greater enjoyment and purpose in their lives with a focus on misfit entrepreneurs. That's me right there. Yeah, misfit entrepreneurs and leaders who march to the beat of their own drum. Mark's coaching empowers people to claim their own joy as they make a difference for others. He has appeared on national television, radio shows, and has delivered not one, but two. <laughs> two time, two time, two time, two time, two time TEDx speaker on positive psychology and social justice. There is more, guys, but I want to just get into it because we, we have a lot of stuff to cover tonight. It's going to be a – this ain't going to be an hour episode. I'm telling you right now. This is prime time. Let's jump in, dude. Ready? Yeah, let's do it. You know the first question. Mark, are you a leader? Yeah. Hell yeah, I am. Yeah, man. Talk to me about it. Tell me, what is your definition of a leader? Yeah. Um, so my definition of a leader hasn't changed over the years. It's, it's essentially um, the ability for you, one person, to um, positively affect another person to take action or to provoke them to think about, plant seeds to think about action in the future. So 
even if you think about one person influencing another person, leading another person, or you leading yourself through feedback loops, um, in some way, shape, or form, I think everybody is a leader, and uh, there's certain certain ownership that we we need to take in it. Um, but that's just just me waxing right now. To answer your question, yeah, I'm a straight up leader. Yeah, and also at the same time, there's a good time to be a follower. So, for example, I was in um I I, I was in Speaker Sudare 2020, and with what was changing, the best way that I could lead is by following my executive producer and seeing where what her you know basically seeing where where things were going with her and what I could play with as a leader with that you know our medium yeah. you know our medium changed from being on a stage to being on uh you know very upfront in front of people and when those mediums change you got to take some leadership um and and uh you, you take some direction but you got to put some creativity up in there you need to put some spin some authenticity and i think Really great leaders, especially at a time like now, can step up and affect the the thought or the the behavior of another person in a positive way. And I mean, this world is like filled with fear right now, so there's plenty of fucking opportunities right now to do that. Yeah, for sure. And I and I think that's kind of what drew us to each other uh, after we met at Speakers Who Dare. We'll get into that a little bit more, but I think your definition of a leader really sums up what you and I are about in terms of mm. how we how we not only craft our own leadership, but we we try and build other leaders, right? Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm gonna go I'm gonna go into my first wrestling reference because WrestleMania was canceled. But I think the one of the most real things in the world is professional wrestling. I don't care if you lose fans over this, buddy, because I know you're looking at your numbers. But if you think about it, they're going and performing but also in real life, there's something called putting another guy over. This is where the older veteran will. Do you know that? You know this, yeah. right, George? Yeah, of course. This is where the older veteran makes the decision to put the new guy in the limelight, and I think that's what a good leader does. They they put they take themselves out when they know that they can't necessarily be at optimal functioning anymore, and. They don't need the limelight. They never did it for the limelight. And they put the other guy over. And the thing was, is over the past year, my friend, I have to say it uh, before we go and start slamming on each other, you've put me over quite a bit. And I'm so, I'm so grateful for that, man. Even up to the night before Speakers Who Dare, uh, you know, you've been talking to me about it. But also at the same time, I, I hope that I've had the opportunity as a leader to put you over. Um, you didn't have a podcast when we started. And well, I, well, I, I was going to say was, that. I, I was going to say that okay. you have absolutely put me over. I mean, uh, you know, that's what this is about. This is, uh, I think, leaders that are, let's call it freeform leaders, right? People that are sort of fluid in terms of their their platform and what they're trying to do. I think people like that are always looking. They're always looking to absorb uh, not only content, but they, they're looking to absorb leadership tactics from other leaders. They're looking to see what affects the, the audience of other leaders and, and to see if they can adapt and, and do those things. And so when I met you, that's kind of uh, something that really had an effect on the way I lead now is that I've, I've developed a few more platforms than I had before. Yeah, I have yeah. my businesses. Yeah, I had my social media. Yeah, I had my public speaking. But, you know, going into this whole podcasting world, this whole, uh, you know, the, this video platform via social media was something that I didn't really do much before this, the podcasting, not at all. 
and now you know it's a if you it's a few months later and i will say that you absolutely had a huge part in putting me over with that and 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 sort of teaching me how how much you could affect people in that way so it's all love brother you know that oh yeah and i mean the thing is 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 I mean, if if you just look at at, at the the impact that you're having on people, uh, what was that magazine that you were in? It was like podcast people magazine. Under, oh my gosh! Like it's, you know, I I think I don't I don't want to be like, look at me, everybody, I'm an ex- exemplar, but I can't help but feel like it wasn't like oh that should have been my podcast that was under the radar. I was like, nah, when when you put George over. Like he needs to hold that championship belt and run with it, you know, and I think as a coach, that's what I love so much about coaching is that um, on a regular basis, um, I get to create space to put people over and um, just fucking celebrate with them. Yeah, it's brother. amazing to celebrate when they know that they can do it themselves. Yeah, dude. I love that. I love that. I want to I want to Howard Stern this bitch right now. I want to oh, take no. you back. We're taking it back. We're taking it back. We're taking it back. We're going to start. You're going to make me talk about my penis at some point <laughs> if you're Howard Stern. You little baby, <laughs> little baby peen. <laughs> uh, I, I want to see if there's any action over there. I got my makeshift Fabrizio today over on site. Any action coming? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Good. Well, all the channels are buzzing. From my Amazing. wife who's in Fabrizio's seat today because Fabrizio is quarantined right now. That motherfucker. Oh, positive vibes. That motherfucker. <laughs> so we're going to take it back. Way back. All the way to Ohio. Ohio. Where Cordon was born in Ohio. What, what city in Ohio were you born? I'm not going to say because the password is the password. Oh, one. stop it. <laughs> No, it's, it's, his password for everything is Cleveland sixty nine. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was born in I, I was born in a small town outside of Cincinnati. Well, it's it's everyone knows it. It's Dayton, Dayton, oh, Ohio. Dayton, Ohio. All right. Uh, so you're so, a Bengal. Yes. Uh, well, I, I was a Bengal, and then uh, and now you're a you buccaneer. Know, right. Like for for uh, well, my my parents came from the Philippines, right? And and this is a cool story. Um, uh, both of my parents had worked their asses off to come to the United States, both of them with very large families. My dad, being the playboy that he was, like, did, could not pass his exams. My mom ended up passing the exams before him. She was, like, eight years younger than him. Ooh, so she hires – she hires uh, that's, that's, that's how daddy rolls, man. <laughs> um, daddy the, packs the third rolls like that. Um <laughs> And uh, my mom actually hired him as an intern for a while, and uh, th- they ended up going their separate ways, right? My dad ends up in L.A., it's a playboy again, right? My mom's in Minnesota, and they end up at a party in Ohio. And they're like, you? Wait, you? And so, like, they end up getting together, and they created something. They created magic, man. Are you and referring magic, to yourself as magic? I'm about me, <laughs> yeah. All right, guys, this has been a great interview. <laughs> I want to thank you for joining us tonight. <laughs> hey, we have officially work, jumped work, the shark. That, that, does, that doesn't work very well in job interviews because I've done that one before, <laughs> and like it was in co- it was for a college dean position, and the college kids were like, "You son of a bitch!" <laughs> <laughs> Love it. But, Hold on. This is the thing, though, is like 
let's not let's not play down to our like uh, the enormous power that we as humans have um and the the enormous agency that we have uh and and do this humble bragging bullshit it's taken me a long time to get to this point of of being like oh something magical you know um they did they created something that like for a long time i was not proud of and now I, i'm sitting here eight o'clock you know uh you know, pretty proud of, of, of the ups, downs, and all arounds that I've gone through, George. Hell yeah. And I know it's been similar to you. Like, I, I think that's what we've connected around that as, as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. A hundred percent. You know, that, that journey is really what this show is all about, honestly. The, the, the journey that we go through, the unconventional journey to leadership is the reason that I started the show. It's the reason mm. that – it's the reason that I became – the leader that I am today, because I wasn't always this leader, you know, and, and the things that we learn on this journey, they're not all from school learning, guys. It's not all, you know, a lot of people hate the term the school of hard knocks, but Mark and I have been to actual school and the school of hard knocks. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. there's, some, there's some scars on the forehead. Here. Yeah. And, and, and there's there's some scars on the dome here when, when, I, when I shaved this off, man. I was like, oh, <laughs> I've aged, man. I've aged. But I've aged well. So born in Ohio and moved to Tampa probably about a year later, but yet you still remember falling flat on your face in the snow somehow. I do. As a one-year-old. I don't know. I, 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 don't, I don't know why, but I just remember this image of like walking down brick steps and just plopping down in, in, into the snow. Uh, and then the next re- like remembrance I have is being in Florida, and it was probably around three, and like I remember looking at – and it doesn't frost over down here, people in Florida. But like there was like drops of water that had frozen on leaves. And my mom would would walk me to preschool, which was a, across the street every day. Mm-hmm. And the thing was, was like back then it would take me an hour to get there because I was so like, I remember being so like curious about the world. And that's really what I've spent my life trying to do is get back to that curiosity and fascination with the world. Um but my parents have uh, moved to Florida on, on, on a wish and a prayer because they were up in Ohio and they were like, we did not come from a place that was 120 degrees Fahrenheit to a place that's like 12 degrees. That's fucked up. And so they moved <laughs> as far away from Ohio as they could. Um, and they packed up all of their stuff and they were like, let's see what's in Orlando. And on the way to Orlando, they came across a, a, a small town outside of Tampa and uh, they were like, why don't we settle down here? And it was dirt roads and my mom was crying. She was like, this is just like my shanty old town in the Philippines. And uh, the, you know, it's, this place has grown. I'm, I'm quite proud of, 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 uh, of, of Tampa and I'm quite proud of all the little places that I've called home, but this will always be um, home, home to me. <laughs> I love that, man. I love that that yeah. that love of home it really helps to to ground us and center us. I'll tell you that, you know, you you know my deal with Farmingdale, my hometown, little town on Long Island in New York, and uh, I wouldn't be who I am without this town. This town has grounded me. This town has carried me. This town put me on its back when when I needed it, and and so uh, you know I owe a lot to it. So so I I definitely appreciate that appreciation you have for your home. Um, Absolutely. And, and, you know, I wanted to throw this out about leadership as well. Um, be, leadership is a, is a 
is a two-way street. It's not you being a leader and people damn following you. There, there's going to be some days, um, and if Luis or any positive psychologist or, or any folks who just know the rules of – or not the rules of life, but have just experienced life, one of the biggest ways to rebound as a leader or a human being is to have – a relationship with the community and the people around you. I know that in the joy revolution, we call it your virtuous friends. It's not the joy revolution. It's Aristotle who called it your virtuous friends. These are the people who thick and thin, um, when, when you're egotistical, when you're down, they're always going to be there for you. And that's, that's my definition of home. And I think that should be um, something that all leaders think about is where is your home base? And that could be a psychological place. You know, we just did an episode, just to, to sidebar on that for a minute, we just did a whole episode about, you know, the effects of, of coronavirus right now and, and what's been going on in terms of productivity, in terms of, you know, how people are feeling right now, and really talked mostly about ways to, creative ways to spin and, and keep the world turning, creative ways to sort of get out there and, and solve problems that we're dealing with right now without focusing on the negatives. And so I think if we all ground ourselves in home, it's going to do us a lot of good to, to sort of reset right now as we're all home and come out of this with a new understanding of what life should be like. You know, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, there's, there's a lot of, um, it might feel like there's a lot of weeds and a lot of fires that are, are going on right now. But as long as we have a place that we can call home or a psychological place that we can always come back to, um, we can always retreat there and it will always be a sanctuary for us, yep. a safe, a safe place. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And so I want to talk for a minute about growing up in Tampa, specifically, you mentioned before you have two Filipino parents. Uh, you also have I a do. sister. I want to talk about life growing up. We have had a number of conversations. I grew up in, in a house of you know European immigrants, Greek. My mom's Yugoslavian, my dad's Greek, so primarily Greek household. And I know what that entails. And I, and I know when I say that, you immediately spark uh, and, and you totally understand what I'm, what I'm saying there. There's something about that, we'll say, foreign culture, growing up in, in, a, in a foreign culture within the United States that's so – I think there's a lot of words that describe it. It's, it's tough. It's, it's different. It makes you feel different sometimes, but it's also wonderful and, and grounds you in a whole different way. Talk about it. Talk about growing up as a Filipino-American, uh, first generation, right? In yeah, first States. generation, born and raised. Yeah. On the playground was where I got picked on most of my days. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but, but see, this is the thing. Before I even go and talk about a story, I want to make sure that I'm grounded in telling my story and appreciative of, of knowing that many people have grown up feeling like an outsider, you know, to, especially being in like a, a, a male testosterone centric or whatever the word is world, right? A lot of people, not just, um, uh, people of color or people of of, of descent, uh, of of you know who who immigrated to the United States, um, go through this. Everyone will feel like an outsider at some point. Um, for me, I, I I I had the luck of uh, of a couple things. Like, I, I at first I felt like a hybrid because I'd come to school and I'd speak half. English and half Filipino because they spoke Filipino Tagalog in, in, in my in my house and 
you know, when we come to school, you know, um, we'd uh, we'd speaking in English. So when my mom had a hysterectomy, and we had our, I went to all, I went to all Catholic school, my through, um, through high school. I remember we do our morning prayers, and uh, so my mom had a hysterectomy, and I didn't know what that that was the technical term, but the way they explained it to me is that mom was gonna have a pipit transplant. <laughs> now for all you Filipinos. That's going to make this an explicit <laughs> that's going to make George make it an explicit show. And that was like in uh you know second grade I was praying for my mom's peepit transplant, right? <laughs> but like I I think you know I I think as I started um as I started getting older one of the things that happened was I started looking around the class and I was like holy shit one of these things is not like the other, you know, and um I I remember suddenly feeling this sense of isolation, even though I was completely surrounded with other people, this feeling that like, you know, like I'm not tall like the boys, like I'm like the shortest kid in class by far. And, um, you know, my skin is browner. And like when we started liking girls, like, like none of them were giving me attention. And like, so I wanted to do anything anything to to suddenly grow armpit hairs with the rest of the boys right like i was you know i i i was a late bloomer dude yeah and but also at the same time like i remember looking in the mirror dude this is straight fucking serious like i, I remember looking in the mirror and being like i fucking or not i didn't curse back then but i was like i hate who you are i hate what you look like i hate the fact that i'm so different and like if I could wish it all away, I would wish that I would be um, uh, like white and five foot four at the time, you know, and have armpit hair and play on the basketball team. And, um, you know, my, my parents have worked their asses off um, to get uh, to to establish their practice. And in, in the in Filipino culture, we have a, a third parent that's oftentimes pulled into the family. This is called your yaya. And so I remember my teacher coming in and saying, not all of us have maids like you. And like, that was so fucking culturally insensitive. Um, and the thing is, is that I let it go. Uh, no, actually, I didn't let it go because it's coming out as angry and I have to I have to realize what I'm feeling right now. Um, but like it really it tore me a new one, man. Um, to when all of a sudden I, I was this spoiled brat who had maids and all this stuff, she picked us up in a rusty ass Pinto. I, I was a spoiled brat. Yeah. You know? Um, and so like I started pushing my parents away, um, and being like, no, 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 no. I'm going to be Filipino. I want, um, Z Cavaricis. You know, I, I don't want those clothes that you're getting me guys. I, I want Z Cavaricis. I want, um, uh, I want guests. I, I, I want the um, color shirts. Remember those color changing shirts? Yeah. I wanted all of that stuff to fit in. And the thing was, was that like, man, the self-loathing and hatred just started piling up at that age. And by the time I came to college, it exploded out. And I was just like, anything that's white and gets in my way, I'm taking you out. And so like I was militant in college. I was like, people of color, Asian studies, we're doing this. Um, and I didn't realize that all of a sudden I had become a bully. My leadership, um, my, my spark, one of the spark oh. moments turned into I was leading in anger. 
And if you were not angry with me, then you are not Filipino. You right. are a whitewashed piece. You are a whitewashed piece of shit. You know. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I've, I, I you know, I've, I've, I, I, I've come to a, a nice place in uh, my therapy uh, <laughs> about sort of that, you know, and and and, but also at the same time, like. I don't hold back on 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 saying some of the things that I used to say behind people's backs because um, it's what I said. Yeah. You know, and, and I have to take ownership of it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. What did it feel like as you as you got older in terms of, you know, not only just being a Filipino American, but just being you, Mark? I know you now. We all know you as coach, the Joy Rev, the speaker, you know, the Golden Mike Live, the Golden Mike podcast. We know that persona. And that's that's something we, you and I have talked about this, and we'll get into personas later. Oh. I would love to know as you, you started personas, as you started coming into your own as not not as a leader, but just as a man. You're getting into your teen years. What did that mark look like, Mark, in high school? I don't think that I've come into my own yet, George, um, and that's what I think I'm most excited about. But also at the same time, during my high school years, um, um, I, I remember. I remember this. I remember feeling very ugly. I went to an all boys school, um, and uh, it's, it's. I mean, the the sheer bullying that happens in in just any school, but especially an all boys school, sure. you know, um, is 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 pretty wild. Um, and the thing was, was that I started to have a very distorted view towards everybody else. I thought everyone hated me. I thought I was very low on the totem pole. And now that like I'm reconnecting with some of my um, uh, friends from high school and stuff, I was I just got off the phone with somebody who uh, from high school who wants to re, re uh, put together a band and stuff. Right. I'm like, oh, I didn't even know that you, you thought of me, man. Like, that's cool. And he's like, no, you're totally cool in high school. And like, I just remember being angry on the inside. I also remember looking or thinking that I was very ugly. Um, and so part of the head shave was an homage to that because I grew my hair out uh, emo style, but in a way that it covered my entire face. Uh, it was like uh, one of those, who's the guy in the Munsters where you, you can't see his face? No, that's um, uh, uh, the Adams Family. That's Cousin okay. It. <laughs> cousin yeah, It. Yeah, cousin It, Cousin It. Yeah. The Adams Family, right? So um, I covered my face and I remember... Um, uh, um, one one of our lunch ladies, we called them the lunch babies. Um, <laughs> oh my god! By the way, our high school best picadillo in Tampa. <laughs> if you've ever had picadillo, you gotta come to Jesuit High School and have their picadillo. Um, but I remember she turned to me once and and um, she was giving me my picadillo and she was like, "Mark," I'm like, "Yes, ma'am." And she was like, "You really need to stop hiding your face." And I was like, no, this is just the way my hair is. And she's like, you're very, you're very good looking. I, and I was just like, whatever. She's a 60 year old woman trying to make me feel good. You know? Yeah. Um, she's like, you shouldn't hide your face. And I was like, you know, I, that has stood with me for a very long time. Like not hiding your face. And when you're, I'm going to jump that persona. In fact, like even when I cut my hair and I've, turned it red or whatever i put on more masks yeah more personas so there's still this sort of hiding of face that's been happening and so um yeah i, I remember being uh 
very quiet and uh, the, trying to figure myself out. It was my, it was my first band. Um, uh, we were called the Three Manic Depressives. I had no idea what a manic depressive was, um, but I was like, that sounds cool to me. And and uh, you know, to uh, our buddy Phil, he was the drummer. He had discovered this small underground band um, from California um, called Green Day, and he wanted <laughs> us to he wanted us to cover their music. Um, and I think at the time it was uh, it was the album before Dookie. It was called uh, Thousand Slap Happy Tunes, and so we covered it. We'd play their songs very easy, right? I was the guitarist. I think I was the singer at, t- at times. And uh, he called me one day and he was like, hey, bro, come over. And I'm like, for what? And he's like, Green Day's here. They're having dinner with my parents right now. Like they needed a place to stay. They were they Holy were cow. touring the country and they stayed at my buddy Phil's house. And I was just like, nah, I'll pass. And then like I, I ended up seeing them like, a couple of years later and I was like MTV movie or MTV awards, those little astronaut awards or whatever. And they're fucking playing. I'm like, that's great. <laughs> like, that's great. That guy. That's so, like, great. I was very much. Um, and, and also at the same time, when it came to certain things like going out, I, I, I did not date um, until the, maybe the very end of, of, of high school. I wanted to desperately. Um, and, but I did not date. Um, I just felt so ugly and uh, terrified to ask people out um, on, on dates and stuff like that. And um, and, and, and so, uh, you know, when I asked someone out to like homecoming, it would be like the other Filipino in the other school. I would ask her to go out yeah. with me because I was like, no white girl's going to go with me. man. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's what that's what I thought. And, um, I, you know, I spent those those years like really studying hard when uh you know my parents kind of let me let me loose and do whatever i wanted but i put my own rules so i i put i would come home by 10 o'clock so they wouldn't worry you know it's weird man it's 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 you know and and uh you know so I'd, i'd be home on the dot and stuff like that i was pretty responsible and then um i got into drama when not drama drama like baby mama drama that was later in my life that was later but um i got into the drama club and like that was a point where like all the masks could come off and then suddenly i could play whatever i wanted yeah and i started to feel freedom um and i I started to feel creativity and i started to feel um accepted and seen and the thing was was that i still felt like i wasn't truly seen but i like the characters I, I was playing and portraying were seen. So, you know, that I, I graduated high school and, and I remember I had a, a, a all group, uh, all guy group of friends. Uh, we'd play board games. We, you know, we we're kind of the drama kids. And um, I remember saying goodbye to them and it was just like, yeah, I'll see you guys later, you know. And yeah. then when I literally went to hug everybody, that may have been the first time that I, I, broke down in a public setting like I, I, I couldn't hold it in that this group of men had become my cohort they had been they'd become my uh, my best friends um, uh, you know Joe Kelly and um, Andres Sanchez yeah you know um, and and uh, and then going to the uh, I went to Emory University for for college and and going to the the um, 
the airport was very lonely for me. And then it was like this strange bro- it, it, it was the first bromance. So don't get jealous, bro. So um, they all ended up like coming. It wasn't a airport. real bromance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's <laughs> this is I, a that's bromance. What, that's what I tell. That's what I'll tell you, man. All right. What's next here? Oh, oh, Launchpad 516. Fabrizio, put that good stuff on for this one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I like this. Launchpad 516. What can I say about this company? My life's work. I founded this company in 2013, and man, what a journey it has been since then. I took everything, everything that I've learned in business, in life, the mistakes, the successes, and I built this company with one mission in mind, and that was to go out there and fix businesses. And damn it, we have done it. Management consulting, what does that mean? You need help with growth strategy. Your company is failing. Your company needs help growing your company is doing good but just needs that little extra push that's us we come in we analyze we work with your people and we help you figure out how to get to the next level i promise you that now what else marketing sure media convergence the marketing agency within launchpad 516 We have Fortune 500 clients and we do it all. Web design, web development, social media marketing, email marketing, SEO, pay-per-click, video and graphic production, all of it. Public relations, yeah. We are a creative marketing agency and we get your brand out there, plain and simple. Welcome to creativity is our slogan and we mean it. Now, what else? Coaching? Sure. We've been coaching for years. You just didn't know it. We've been coaching CEOs, COOs, C-level executives under our consults for years. But now, with the leadership experience, we're taking it to the streets and we are coaching one-on-one with individuals like you. You need help with personal growth. You need help with career growth. You need help finding your leadership and changing the world, that's that. The leadership experience will do that for you. And all of this, it's under the umbrella of Launchpad 516. So visit us at launchpad516.com, launchpad and the numbers 516.com. Check out the link in our show notes. Let's change the world together, guys. Fabrizio, great choice on the music, buddy. Uh, let's Thank jump you. back in. So, so one more thing, uh, for those that are new to the launch cast real quick, guys, this is a podcast that comes from me, George Andriopoulos. You can look up the launch cast on Apple podcasts, Spotify, everywhere podcasts are available. We come out every single Monday morning. All right. So we're talking leadership here and this is my, my good, good friend, Mark Cordone. And we've been waiting for this interview for a while. Let's jump into college uh, for for a brief moment because this is where everything started. Everything started changing. So you went to Emory, you majored yep. in neuroscience, and then you you achieved your master's in public health. Yeah, bro. I know that you were in a band. I know you you were and are a musician, and yep. uh, it will tell a story later about how this kind of came full circle for you, and some of your music came back into play just 
today for Speakers Who Dare. But talk to me about music for you back then. Well, I think when I first started with music, um, I, I was a performance monkey. That's what I thought of myself as. Uh, I, I, um, and I faked it till I made it. Yeah, and I never ma- truly made it, but made it, <laughs> you know. But um, I, I'm so, so, so grateful that uh, my dad bought a violin. It was the first thing he bought with his, with his money in the United States. And he took me to lessons. And I was like, are you fucking serious, man? Like, <laughs> I got to take violin lessons. And the thing was, was that um, I, I, I could have a learning disorder. I'm not quite sure. You know, um, and th- that's why I'm like, I kind of faked it till I make made it throughout everything, like even college and stuff like that. But like, I remember looking at the notes and I was like, I, I just can't get I, I can't get it. I understand. But if you play the song for me, I can perform it. And so I remember I'd, I'd, I'd ask my teacher and it was I was very, very quiet. I'm still I still am. You know that, George. Yeah, I'm a very introverted guy. And um, and she'd be like, this is the way you play it. And she'd play it and then she'd be like, okay, now play it note for note, like as I play with you. And I would just follow by ear and not look at the page. And so, um, you know, I had to do an, like cummerbund and then red thing and then we'd have our recitals. And uh, I, I felt like a performance monkey and I truly like I wanted to be more like Michael Jackson because that was the guy that was like inspiring the masses. Right. And so when I came out to perform, I just came and did what I was what I was told. Um, I picked up the guitar probably when I was 18 um, and I just kind of uh, started messing around with it. I saw my cousin play The Cure Just Like Heaven. Um, if, if anyone knows that song, that song, it's the jam. It's the Spanish fly. Um, and uh, like I, I fell in love with, with just playing playing the guitar and it wasn't riffing and going crazy with with it and, and and all the stuff it was, it was it just had a very soothing effect and it was one of the things that was for me sure. right and that was healthy you know and um uh eventually what what happened was uh we we formed a band in college um and uh we started performing and uh, i think the first song we ever played together was uh red hot chili peppers other side um, and then, uh, so we, we kind of played those type of songs. And then at one point we just started writing. Right. And so, uh, the first song I ever wrote was called over you. Right. And a lot of people thought it was this codependent relationship that I was writing about. I couldn't get over this person, but it was because I couldn't stop smoking. Um, and that's, that, that's literally how, you know, uh, I would say basic my writing has been and has stayed, you know? And, and, and so like I, I've, written and and spoken in metaphors but like we started maturing and maturing and maturing to the point where we almost got i wouldn't say almost uh, to the point where we were in an office and they put a contract in it in it and it was up to us to sign it the contract it was a very small uh label uh in atlanta um i remember we came into the um it it was it was an old restored firehouse and we came in and they were playing our music they gave us champagne and then like the then the label owner sat down with us and was like, what are you doing here? And I was like, oh, OK, so this is like maybe this is some sort of negotiation table or something like that. That was my first interaction with like, OK, this is framing NLP type of bullshit. And um, 
And I remember standing up for the rest of my band and I was like, who has this type of face right now in the record industry? Who looks like us right now? And then I remember saying to her, uh, if you just do your numbers on Asian Americans, we're just going to have a lot of support if you sign us. Um, we will grow into our, our own. We will grow into our own voices. And by then we were winning a, a couple like battle of the bands and stuff like that. And, um, and, uh, she threw this really thick thing down and we didn't have a lot to, you know, we, we took it back and then we ended up not signing it, yeah. you know? Um, and, and partially for me, I was, I was like, how can I ever make money as a, you know, as a, uh, as, as an artist, you know? And, and so like, it's, you know, I, I really look up to the folks like, like Mike who, who made the jump and just committed and went, uh, it wasn't until like my coaching years that I, I did that, but sure. it was, it was fun. Um, uh, it, it really brought out this new aspect. I started writing, uh, a lot. I started writing about my life. Uh, I remember writing the song, what went wrong where, uh, you know, I was like, man, I had everything. And like, now when I come home, like my parents look at me I've got all this hair on my face I'm living on people's couches and they say what went wrong and then I go and perform in front of people and I, I remember uh, uh, we were in Jacksonville Florida performing and uh, this person goes uh, the, the host goes and now for the uh, cultural act of the night oh and man. and I just remember boom I was like here's the next album <laughs> <laughs> we are not the cultural act like, welcome to America, baby. And then the next thing was, uh, I remember peop, uh, a guy was, uh, I know they meant so, the, the, the intention was so good, but my anger interpreted it as, I'm looking down on you. And I remember this guy bought me a drink uh, in D.C. once, and he said, you know, man, if I closed my eyes, I couldn't tell that you guys were a Filipino band. And I know he was like, you guys are really good. But I took it as, here you are still, man, second-class citizen. And um, you might think that I had, like, these lascivious years um, as a, a person in a band. Like, I, I had the power to sleep around now and stuff like that. But it made that masking even worse because I'd walk into a room. No one would recognize me. Then I'd go on stage Everybody wanted to be around me, and it just made it even more lonely. And so I remember those. It was almost like um, a high school when I put those boundaries on myself. I was not going to sleep with anybody, and I didn't. I was, I was really happy about that. Um, uh, you know, I was not going to indulge um, uh, to the point where you know I was going to get in, 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 into drugs or anything like that at that point. Yeah. Um, and it was probably one of the most disciplined times for me. And I'm so glad that I was really disciplined because, you know, uh, you, to be straight up honest with you with the way things have been going and, 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 and George, you know, that I've, I've fallen in, in terms of, of confidence, you know, uh, I can, I can throw out a golden mic podcast like no other or the joy revolution, like no other, but then I'll second guess myself and I'll call you and I'll think that you're not going to be my friend and stuff. You know, like I get neuro there's a neurosis that still will sink in. Yeah. And I turn back to those songs when I, when I was ultimately free and I was clear of thinking and I'm like, 
holy crap, this was stuff that I was throwing away that I'm bringing back now and using for speakers who dare. <laughs> yeah, which is insane, which is insane. I want to I want to move on from this for a second. So I want to get into basically uh, your college experience a little bit and then how you moved on going forward from there. So like I mentioned, you, you, you went to Emory, you were a neuroscience major, you got your master's in public health, you did your band thing, which was a huge part of you. You know, you were in a band in your senior year, you guys released an album, like you mentioned, and actually gave it away for free because... Oh, that was when I was in a PhD. Yeah, that was our third album yeah. that we released, and uh, it was called All Good Things. Yeah. And, and you were at this point where... I know you mentioned to me that you sort of broke the internet with the album at the time because of bandwidth issues. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it wasn't that hard to do it at the yeah, time. But yeah. also at the same time, uh, you know, when I spoke to, that, uh, to that, re that record executive and I said, the community will get behind us yeah. with or without you, I meant it. And when we put out the album, All Good Things, which was mostly about um, my Filipino American experience and by Filipino American, it was Filipino or American or something on that spectrum. I never thought that I could rise above and create a new, a whole new identity. My, that was just the, the, uh, the singular, um, plane that I lived on. And yeah, we put it out. I remember I was sitting in a, a, a class monitoring the numbers um, uh, we were talking about, uh, higher education. I, I felt like an imposter being there. Um, yep. and I remember, I, re I remember our, our manager called us and was like, we got to fucking get the site back up. And I'm, I just remember laughing hysterically. I was like, yes, <laughs> you know? Um, and it, it was, it was cool. It was, and it, cool. Was, and then, it was quite a feat. But you didn't really tell many people. You didn't tell anybody about it because of your professional side at the time. And so that uh, I, I'm guessing that sort of won over at the time and, and was the direction that you moved in in terms of your professional side. Yeah, the professional side always won over. Like anything that I felt like was creative was um, secondary to being a professional like my parents were. Yeah. Right. And, and so um, – uh, unfortunately, they were the ones who who put the uh, the paintbrush in my hand with that um, with that violin. But then when I, I figured out what I could do with the paintbrush, you know, I became very creative about what to do with it. But it always tr it was always trumped by me tying a tie in an English knot every morning, putting on a suit and then playing the role of a, um, of, a of a college administrator. Um, and I did love that role, but also at the same time, I thought that the role needed to fit within a, a certain box, right? Like no one would respect me if I was in a band, you know, no one res would respect me if I was doing this and it became more important for me to move up in an organization and impress people than it was for me to, um, fucking be myself. Yeah. And and so it, it was it really was like a, a dual life at that time, you know, and I'm not saying I, I, it's like I don't have a dual life now, but I feel much more integrated at this point now where I can, you know, uh, you know, my anyone who's seen my golden mics the first two years. What is shaking? You know, it was it was the ultimate performer, you know. But also at the same time, like, um, you know, my partner and stuff were like, man, when you take off that. That mask, man, if you ever let people see it, like you might make an, an even stronger connection. And, and so that's what I've 
really been focusing on um, since the launch of the podcast. And so I want to talk about the professional side a little yeah. bit. So you worked in the multicultural office for Emory when you started your PhD program. And then you moved on eventually. You moved on to the uh, you health worked promotion. In health promotion. Yeah. 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 And so this is the story <laughs> that I've heard before. You were the condom guy. <laughs> the, uh, it was the condom office. We, we, we gave out. Yeah, we, 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 we flung condoms. Um, and, and I remember when I came in, I, I was like, it was the beginning of the hashtag movement. And I, and I, I remember I was like, we are coming in and we are hashtagging, not just condoms, you know? And I was, I, I, I also remember being like, we are also not going to be the office of prevention. We are going to be the office of fucking promotion. Um, now they, they did haze me by, um, having me do like the first couple weeks hand washing, yep. but isn't it isn't it ironic, you know, that the first thing that I did when I got there was called hand washing saves lives. Yep. Isn't it ironic? Um, and so I'm so grateful for that opportunity, even though I didn't um, take it seriously with, with the hand washing thing. And then that's when um, part of the reason I moved out of the multicultural office was because I was seeing things like students who were coming out of the closet who are also Muslim saying, I could never tell my parents about this. I will literally get shunned from my home. I have, I'll have no place to go. Um, and I remember the day that broke me was a student that, um, a student that had become, uh, you know, a regular in the office. I was, my office was known as the time warp for the multicultural students. They'd come in and like five hours would pass and then they'd just go and do their homework. Right. And then I'd be left there to do my work. Right. <laughs> and, um, I remember a student came in. I was going to a meeting because suddenly I was on uh, these high-level meetings, assessment teams and stuff like that. And and impressing those inses- assessment teams became more important to me at, at one point than this student. And uh, I remember a student was walking past me. And um, I just remember the look on her eye, bro. Um, I knew something was wrong. And I was like, uh, I was like, yeah, I'll get to you in a second. I'm late to a meeting. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it turns out that she was, um, sexually assaulted. Oh man. Right. And so, um, I remember coming home, um, that night and, uh, I, I went in the shower and I know that I was in, in there because, um, I, the, the water was cold and my partner came in and was like, dude, you've been in there for like an hour. I was like, oh, oh okay. And I knew it was time to go. And that's when I also knew that I was like, some of these people in these positions, man, of, of being these multicultural directors and stuff, were flinging out these ideas. But these folks are going through some real fucked up shit right now. And like, we don't have the training or the capacity to do what we're doing. And I wanted out because I didn't have the training. Sure, I was a public health guy. Sure, I'd done my own work when it came to my identity, but not when people were getting raped and and, you know, and 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 uh, coming out of the closet and they couldn't t- tell their parents or the religious communities. Um, and I thought I, I began to disdain um, people in, in, in who thought that they could be gods working with these students and fix them. And that's why I wanted to go to um, to somewhere else. I, I actually wanted to quit. And Emery was really nice. And I wouldn't say nice. They were kind. Nice is a non sequitur. They were kind and they, they saw value in me and they moved me over to, to health. 
and they gave me the ability to create, like creating and, a song. And it was really nice. And, nice. and I told them, I wouldn't say nice. If I am, they were kind. Office, nice is a non sequitur I want to create something that promotes well-being. I want to create classes on resilience. I want to create things that when people graduate college, I want to create those classes that they'll never fucking forget. Yeah. And so I was given the opportunity to start um, teaching these mini courses on happiness and teaching these, um, mixing them with social justice. And so everything was coming together. Um, and also at the same time, in terms of coming together, uh, you know, in working in the condom office, uh, I, there was a come together uh, that happened with me. And suddenly, like, uh, my partner at the time uh, was pregnant. And remember, conservative South private school that is concerned about its rankings. I'm concerned about my image. And I have to go and tell the office and the entire division that um, my girlfriend is pregnant. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I forgot to take one of these thousands of condoms that <laughs> our office is built on. Oh, Dude, man. The, the shame, the shame, 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 shame of that, you know, was a, uh, it was rough. Yeah, it was rough. I'm sure. And, but the end result, you know, and you guys, you and I have, have talked about this. We've had so many conversations on, on fatherhood and, you know, the importance of it, the, its mm -hmm. place in leadership. Um, the end result is something I know that you would never, ever change what went down. Whether you've discovered it or not, it's made you a better leader. I hear the way you light up when you talk about your son. I know how having a kid affects your um, your day to day. I know how it affects your decision making. I know how it helps you guide others, especially when you're a person that trains leaders. You know, for me, that was like the 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 growth moment. That was. That was the moment where when I was able to sort of find that balance of, of fatherhood and entrepreneurship and leadership and being a, a good partner, a good husband, when all of that came together is when I was able to guide and lead people in the, in the best way possible, you know, give advice that was based on reason, advice that's based in, in love and caring, advice that's based on experience. And that's, that's something that fatherhood brings you. And so I think no matter how it happens, as long as we embrace it, accept it, and, and, and realize that it's a new learning experience for us, you know, this is, this is what brings us to a new, a new level as leaders. Yeah. Um, so I was definitely, I was in hardcore therapy at that time. Uh, and, uh, oh man, my therapist was badass. And I came to a conclusion on two things. The first thing was, um, about my identity as a Filipino American. Um, and I had been seeing a lot of different people at that time. Like, hey, man, you are fucked up. Like you, you are psychotic. You are this, you are that. And then I came in and saw him and it wasn't like I was looking for validation, but I was like, it was it was it was a white dude, and he turns to me and is like, "You are the classic case of an Asian American." I'm like, "What?" And he's like, "You want to, you want to step out and lead, without apologizing to the family, without apologizing to the collective, and like that will tear you apart until you lead." 
If you step up and lead, they will lead with you and they will appreciate that. So like, don't feel like you're torn in two different places. And suddenly, like, I wasn't Filipino American anymore. Suddenly I was this mark that was moving towards a joy revolution mark, right? It's more than race. It's more than um, gender. But those things are imp- and those things are important. And then the second thing he said um, was, man, you're in for a doozy with this kid. <laughs> and I was like, thank you. It's like, shh, like the pressure came off of the valve because I felt the pressure of the world um, being a good dad and all this stuff. And he was like, he's like, Mark, all I can tell you is this. You're going to fuck up in front of him a million times. But show up. Yep. Period. Period. And when he said that, um, it was game changing in terms of being a perfectionist. I mean, I'm still I've still got those tendencies now, but like it came down a notch. Right. And like um, it wasn't going to. I, I I've always wanted to be a father. I've always wanted to be a father. And uh, to be quite honest with you, I've just never said this before. I've had some scares before. Um, uh, scares, right? We know what scares mean, right? Um, and I remember uh, a, a former partner saying to me, um, if you were more equipped to be a father, I might go through with this. And oh, I wow. remember, it's okay. Yeah. And I, I remember being like, wow, that is a fucking wake up call. And so there were two things. It, it made me want to think about what does responsibility mean. And then second is what does it mean to truly be a father? And then what does she mean? Because if we look nowadays, like it's not just about fatherhood. There was a speaker today that had talked about the pressures of being a single mother and the little check cards you have to do. And that hit me so hard, right? Um, and, and, and so um, when, when, when Little Man was coming into the world, like I was really excited um, and I was also really frightened. And then when I saw him come out, <laughs> right? And then, um, you know, I was, I was like, just kind of holding him for a second there. And like, um, you know, the umbilical cord is still like pulsing. Uh-huh. And you're like, am I supposed to cut it now? Or like, <laughs> it's, it's alive. Or, ah, the you know, and of, they're just like, just go for it, man. The joys like, of parenting. <laughs> yeah, right. And then you just cut it, man. And it's like, oh, man, like you are in for a wild ride, boy. Yeah, man, for sure. And uh, and and I know you've uh, embraced it. And, uh, you know, I think it's also, and this is total side note as well. I think it's, you know, I think it's good that we have these conversations too, not just here on the LaunchCast, but, you know, privately as men. I think mm-hmm. that part of our circle, extended circle, whether it's your circle, my circle, our circle together, it's filled with men that actually can appreciate these kind of things, can appreciate these conversations. I'll, I'll shout out my man, Fred Banny, uh, who you know from, mm-hmm. from TEDx Farmingdale, who leads Conversations with Kings, a really intentional dude that wants men to have these conversations. And so he and I, even last week, two weeks ago, he and I had a really, really personal conversation about shit that men don't talk about. 
you and I, you, you, a couple of weeks ago, I was trying to reach out for something and you're like, Hey man, I'm shut down for the day. I got, I got kids stuff to deal with. And I'm like, yeah, man, no problem. Yesterday you reached out for something. I was like, dude, I'm shut down for the night. I got stuff going on with my kid. Yep. And, and so surrounding yourself as a leader, surrounding yourself with those people that circle, you know, those, those people that understand life, those people that understand the ups and downs you mentioned before you know, even, and we're going to actually get into this, this conversation, but you mentioned before that sometimes when you go through a tough time, the crazy shit that goes through your head, right. Um, and how you get down on yourself and and we all do that, right. We, we all get self-conscious about ourselves and whatever. And, and you thinking you're going to lose a friend over just not being in the right headspace or whatever. And that's, if you lose a friend over that, it's not a friend you should have had in the first place. Honestly, I'm at that point in my life, man. You, you get it. You're of the same age as me, although two years older. I'm just gonna yeah, throw that but, out there. but you look 10 years older. I look 10 years older than <laughs> me when I was 30. You look like me when I'm 70, basically. <laughs> <laughs> See, now the thing about me is I'm going to look I'm going to look young probably for a couple more years. And then all of a sudden, it's just going to all ra- raisin up. I'm going to look like a bag of wet clothes all yeah. of a sudden. It's just like, like it happens overnight. Not, to, not to stereotype you, but damn, damn you Asians. <laughs> Asian don't raisin. My, my, <laughs> wife, my wife looks like she's, she's well, I don't want to say. <laughs> my wife looks young, and she's going to continue to look young. <laughs> Love but you, yeah, Colleen. Man. Love you, Colleen. Yeah. Love you, temporary Fabrizio. <laughs> temporary Fabrizio. She won't even look How's at me. How's she doing over there? Compared she won't even Fabrizio. look at me. Should, should we? Should I, I think we should fire Fabrizio and keep Colleen for? Oh God, I'd I love mean, it. Can... But yeah, the 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 overall theme to what I was just saying is basically <laughs> if those those people uh, that in your that are in your life that would leave you when you're not in the right headspace shouldn't have been there to begin with. I am I'm 40 now, man. I've I've lived some life. I've I've experienced some things and. All I know right now is that joy and positivity is all that I want in this life mm, right now. Yeah. I don't need yeah. that other shit. And yeah. so if if people can't handle, you know, the ups and downs that a human being has on a day-to-day basis and can't be with you through those, then adios. Yeah. Bye, Felicia. Let, let me let me ask you this, man. Um I I I know you you've gone through some ups and downs uh on an, on epic levels. And on small levels, right? Um, whether it be on your business or personal life, um, how one of the things that people warned me about was like the more I put myself out there, the more uh, I, I think the way it was described was the more you try to spread your wings, the more people will try to clip it, right? And like so, I think I've talked to you a little bit about like, yo, what happens when people start hating on you and stuff like that, you know? Because I'm like, I'm just trying to do my thing and and people are hating on you and like how did i know there was a point where you were very self-conscious and you moved to a point now where launch dad 516 you're doing these like tributes to like stone cold steve austin shirts and stuff like that like you know how did you deal with that man because you know that was definitely something that i've been dealing with yeah it's a it's a great question it's something that i wanted to go over tonight so so i appreciate you bringing it up Mm -hmm. i'll tell you one thing right now Number one is that, uh, you know, and, and we've talked about this before, both you and I and, and on this show, the, tr- the transition from, from shithead to, to whatever I am now, 
not so shitty head, you know, was long and, and it took a lot of work personally and it took a lot of healing, took a lot of forgiving myself, took a lot of forgiving others. And so experiencing that, experience that experiencing that that entire journey was part of the healing of of not letting those haters affect my day to day because the the early part in that journey was when you're starting to turn that corner and starting to become this person that you're proud of and that you wouldn't mind showing off to the world is scary because you're proud of who you are now but then all of a sudden you're like well, I don't want to put it out there, especially today, right? Because, you know, today it's social media and, and you know, if you're, mm-hmm. especially if you're a business owner. Dude, if I was just working for some company and didn't have to have a public figure persona and and a podcast and public speaking and all that stuff, man, I don't know how much healing I could have done because I kind of had to force myself through that process because I could have just hidden in my shell and and not come out and hidden from the world and just lived in my little bubble and everything would have been fine but the fact which that is I how to... i feel that i felt this week this week until up until the filming of, yeah. of speaker sudair yeah. yeah and so getting out uh, you know forcing yourself to be out there because of who you might be right or the business that you do it's scary and and there is that point where you just have to leap and put yourself out there and trust that the work that you're doing and the person that you are is somebody that you're proud of and somebody that you you are comfortable uh, putting out there and, and taking those lumps if they come to you. And then I think it's over time, it's when the lumps come, when the haters come, when the NWO invades, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and they're trying to fuck your whole world up and turn it upside down. It sucks and it hurts and it's, it's really heavy. And then it gets better because it does keep happening and then it gets better and better. And then, I don't know, man, I got to this point where I was kind of like, hey, man, I've, I am so authentic and honest out there now. I'm not hiding who I was. I'm not hiding things I did. I put it all out there. You know, I talk about it. I've built a platform where I literally talk about the fucked up shit that I did and how I learned from it and l- how I can help you my client learned from it, right? Um, and so at a certain point when all the forgiving and the healing happened and the haters start coming out at that point, you're kind of like, yeah, okay. I'm not afraid anymore because what are you going to say that I haven't said already? You know? Yeah. It's that whole, yeah. uh, you. I know you've seen 8 Mile, right? I, just, I was actually just watching that right before I filmed. Yeah. The part where uh, like rabbit. The rap battle. Take, he takes everything away. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, he goes. I he's like Fuck I do live in a trailer. I am a fucking world. joke. Fuck free world. <laughs> Fuck free world. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now everybody in. The- <laughs> oh my god! It was so, it was such. It was so good. It was so good. Yeah. Um. But that that you know, that was pretty much it. It's kind of like that. It's that B rabbit moment of like, what are you gonna say about me? Hold on, before you go. Hold my beer for a second while I tell everybody one more time who I was. Yeah. Now tell me. Now tell everybody. Where's yeah. your power? There's no more power. There's no more leverage yeah. in that. Yeah. Well, and and, and the thing is, is that, um, you know, uh, definitely I'm 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 a big proponent of the understanding that, or big proponent of continuing to understand that uh, words create worlds, right? Like, so definitely some of the things that I'm 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 saying could 
definitely be interpreted as more than heteronormative, close-minded, um, sexist at, at times. And the thing is, is I'm doing the best that I can. I'm doing the best that I can, and, and I want, I, I want to have these conversations with civility with people, so that I can continue my growth. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I, I think that. You know, and I also think that, like, when it comes to things like up-leveling or whatever, like in a video game, right, you have to fight that big boss first, you know, before you get to that next level or you get to those new, you know, those new powers in the video game. And I think if you consider life like a video game, if you want to up-level, you know, if you, you're going to have to beat a big boss. And sometimes that big boss is your own damn self, you know. Sometimes... Some people might be listening to this right now feeling that what's happening in the world, they want to give up their coaching program or they want to um, numb out. And this is even more of a time for us to connect with what it is that we truly are fucking passionate about and lead from there because that will get us out of it. Yeah, right. Um, and so, I, I, you know, things have changed so much in the past month that, yeah, I, I wouldn't say that I've leveled up, but I, uh, that's, that's to be determined in the long run. But I, I, could, I could definitely say that I know who my friends are. I appreciate my friends. Um, and it's, you know, if Herman is, is watching, like Herman had a conversation with me once about uh, I, I told him I feel like Thanos at times. Like, I want to destroy the world. And he was like, you have the power to destroy the world or create the world. And that was the very beginning of the, the Speakers Who Dare piece, you know. And then once, I, once he took me from there, I, he, I, I have to sing his praises. He, he presented me with this article you, everyone should go and read um, called uh, the, uh, the Knight in Rusty Armor. And how many of us right now are walking around fucking flaunting our shit with old, antiquated, rusty armor that if we just take it off, we can enjoy our meal instead of squeaky, squeaky, squeaky. Uh, you know, like we can we can absolutely be our authentic selves. And it came for me in the past month through tears and wondering if who my real friends were and wondering if this is the right thing to do and if anyone out there feels like you're second guessing yourself or you need to settle for a life less than what you always had dreamed it would be you're giving your power away yeah period. yeah so let me let me paraphrase some of the stuff i was going to go over here um <laughs> because we're fucking we've completely gone into the the vortex we've gone into the joy bros vortex <laughs> he warned me not to go into the joy bros war- vortex but here we are. So I'm going to skip past about 15 years of Mark's life. <laughs> Timeline-wise now, you had your son. You moved on from Emory. So we're going to paraphrase this part. You moved on from, from Emory. Thanks to Roller Derby. Thanks to Roller Derby. And you know what? I think we're going to have to co- cover Roller Derby in a whole other oh episode God. because yeah. I had I had stuff. To, but that's a whole other thing, right? Thanks to Roller Derby. Thanks to coaching where – there was a snap thing where you just decided one day coaching is it positive psychology first i should say and then the coaching aspect and it was like boom you were kind of done 
with not so much done with academia, but you were done at Emory. You were done. Boy, you did your your homework, man. <laughs> yeah, done, done, done. Uh, uh, working, done with the PhD. It was just yeah. the switch flipped for positive psychology, and you were full on. And and you kind of knew that the end was near with Emory because you had sort of checked out. Who the fuck did you talk to at Emory, man? <laughs> um, did you get into their HR record, son? Um, well, this is an even more intimate. Um, uh, disclosure here. And and that's this. What I had been thinking about for a long time, and I couldn't get my head around it, was I'm destined for something bigger than this shit. And I was brought up to think you should be grateful for what you have. And it, I was torn because I was like, I'm bigger than this. I'm not doing like condom shit. Like, you know, I already did some good things in the multicultural office and um, by doing good things, meaning like I feel like I had transformed some lives and those lives had transformed me. And now I'm I, I, I'm in this office like uh, like, you know, and I look down on my boss. I, I have to be honest. Like I was like, this person is so box thinking like there's the opportunity here to truly be a proactive office that. I mean, we got the Dalai Lama, we got Jimmy Carter, we got Corey Keyes, who I'm going to be teaching his work tomorrow in our free class. Like, um, we've got all this stuff. We could be a destination for fucking happiness and uh, authenticity and like leadership, and we could put it all together, you know. And it was like several organizations. Like, it had to go through certain red tape, and I was. Um, I was growing antsy, man. Like, and and this is where like folks like Herman. I wish he was there earlier in my life, but I, I I'm glad he wasn't, so I could go through it by myself. And I was like, really, I had this mindset that I was like, I'm above this. I'm so much better. But instead of um, embracing that, I thought it was a bad thing. I thought that was it was evil. I you know, and and, and so it it kept me playing safe. And then. Um, Literally, uh, there was this point. That's why this I, I actually had the cover still um, of the book. It's me. I won't name the book. I'll give it to you for fucking free if you want it. Um, but like, it's me screaming and turning my hair red. Like, fuck that Michael Jackson that I always wanted to be is about to come out, people. Um, and uh, no, yeah, there he is. Yeah, I see him in the replay. So, like, like that Michael Jackson is about to come out. I am not playing um, performance monkey for anybody anymore. Yeah. That was where I was at in my life. And the thing was, was like, um, unlike with my family, and un, uh, unlike with um, with uh, roller derby, I no longer was showing up energetically at work. I was just, I was like, fuck it. Yeah. Fuck it. And I was the happiness guy. Yeah. And then, you know, performance plan. I was like, fuck it, man. Yeah. Um, I'm going to really go. Well, you know, I, I love Emory University. It made me everything who I am. And it pushed me out of the nest so that I could actually spread my wings when I was too afraid that people were going to clip them. Yeah. But I, I, I one of the last conversations I had with my um, colleague was um i'm gonna get fired soon and she was like no way and i was like yeah i'm gonna get fired and it's gonna be a great it's gonna be a great way to to end my time here 
um, it's going to be a great way to start my new journey is, is with, um, uh, you know, if you know the tarot deck, like a tower coming down, you know, um, the, the, the collapsing, like I talked about, um, earlier in, in my speech, uh, the collapsing of something and the rebirth of something new, wildflowers growing from the collapse. And so um, I knew that it w I would be able to, to tell that story. And it's not like I wanted to control the narrative, but if I was like, I was too much of a, of a wimp to, 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 to leave and say I'm a quitter and I was uh, too prideful to be fired. And so thank God they fired me. Thank God. Because um, then when that unraveled, it allowed me to go to my PhD program and and just say, yo, there's no positive psychology here. I'm, you know, thank you for, for doing that. And and so I, I was I was a couple of months away from finishing uh, my dissertation, my dissertation. And the thing is, is that my book and I'm not trying to promote my book. My book was all the scraps and flex that I had written in my dissertation, except I got to put like Star Wars references and like wrestling references. And I wanted to make it relevant to human beings. I didn't want it to sit on a motherfucking shelf and gather um, dust like so many other dissertations. I wanted it to have an impact. I didn't just want to go through motions so I could have the, the word doctor after my name. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, um, yeah, that's that's the way I exited, and and the way I exited, I I entered this new phase, and within a week I had, um, my coaching website up and all this stuff. Now that yeah. didn't mean I was close to being where I am. But you started um, you started that journey. You started greater good coaching. You eventually moved on to make money coaching, which you secretly used positive psychology for coaches to be happy. You had this benevolent agenda where you were like, hey, I can actually I've learned. Uh, the art of coaching and actually making money doing it. And now I think I could teach other coaches, but secretly you're like, I just want to teach you to be happy. I want to teach you how to so do you what now, you're doing. So you officially have informants. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to teach you to do what you're doing and, and because I know you're coaching because it makes you happy. And so this theme of joy has always been so important to you. You wrote your book, Beyond Resilient, which you mentioned. And then... Once you were gaining traction, there was a shift in your life. You had to start commuting from Atlanta to Tampa because your dad got a little sick, right? Yeah. And so I want to talk about this for a minute. I, I don't really want to talk specifically about your dad being sick and what's going on with him, unless it's something you want to get into. I just want to talk about, because I've been in this situation very recently, although very different you know, types of sicknesses, but you and I come from very different cultures. But in a way, there's the culture of the, the United States Anglo family, and then there is the foreign culture, whatever that culture may be. And I think a lot of them are lumped together, me being Greek, you being Filipino. My wife is, is um, a whole plethora of things. She's Taiwanese. She's Irish. She's, she, was a, she would be our, our, our child. She would be our child. Yeah, 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 <laughs> basically. And so all of these different cultures, they have one thing in common, and it's that when it comes to your parents and what they have done for you, and I don't know if this is born out of 
guilt. I do know that a lot of cultures do use guilt in this dynamic, which, which, you know, sucks when you're growing up. Not just cultures, organizations in general. And, And it sucks when you're growing up. Like, I get it. But there's also a responsibility to the people that raised you. And there's this responsibility of, hey, we raised you. We gave you everything you needed growing up. And so all we're asking you is that when we're of a certain age, don't forget about us. Simple as that. And so you're there. I'm there. I'm happily there, honestly. And I I think you feel the same way. You know, there are people out there, and you and I have talked about this too, people out there that don't understand those relationships. They'll think they're unhealthy. You told me a crazy story once about people that were really trying to distort your view of your relationship with your parents um, and how traumatic that was for you. Uh, well, so just, and, just talk and about I it. Them, I want to, I want to give anyone who has ever tried to distort that props because um, the intention I'm sure was an intention of, uh, you know, look here, Carl Jung is talking about the man child and, and how the, unless you go through some sort of ceremony, you will always be a child and, and in a, in a grown man's body. Well, Okay, well, you know, they're they're doing what they need to do, but also at and also at the same time, I still have the decisions to make what whatever I, I need to make. It serves me to do this, um, and I'm happy to do this, and I'm also it's also bittersweet to do this. But thank God for Amazon Prime, so I can communicate with you and my son and my father and stuff like that but i'm not when when i mean there are places that i call home this is home you know and it it uh it doesn't it makes me so happy to see my dad to celebrate with my dad like he wanted to celebrate um and the, the other night when I was in the biggest moment of peril and sadness, you know, I, I, he just came out and, um, you know, he, he's, he, he's losing some, some of his memories up there. Um, and uh, instead of be, wallowing in my bullshit, um, I was like, tell me about grandpa. Instantly, old dad came back. Yeah. And, and uh, then there will be days where, I'm on the golden mic and he, you know, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be inheriting this house. Um, and also respecting the fact that this is currently the house that I grew up in, you know? So the, the rules will change when, when I officially inherit in, inherit it. But, you know, uh, so I'm working, I'm working on a golden mic and then dad will start, um, you know, he's not quite sure where he is at times, and then I'll hear him play K Sarah Sarah on the piano. And it's perfect. Not one fucking note is off. Yeah. And I'm like, he's still there, man. You know, and then um that decision to leave Atlanta was hard, bro. Yeah, man. It was hard. I know it was. I know it was. And and I think uh, you know, if I if I could just offer a bit of a bit of advice there, I don't I don't ever want to be in that position you were in as, as far as making that decision. What I will say is, though, the communication, the fact that you never went anywhere, right? Maybe physically, but you were there um, mm-hmm. for everybody, for everybody. 
Um, physically, you had to put yourself in a few places, and that's that's tough, and, and I get it. But in the grand scheme of a life, and you look back on the decisions that you made, and you know, it, it's not about loyalties. It's got nothing to do with that. It's it's responsibilities. You have responsibilities to quite a few people when you're a father, a son, a brother. And so in the grand scheme of things, you only made decisions to to help others. They weren't based on helping yourself. And so I think you need to understand that because I know this is this is tough for you. I don't want to ask you how you were feeling, how hard that decision was, whatever, because it's it's ridiculous to ask that. I know it was hard. I know it's a hard decision. You're 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 for for a short while. You're being there right now as a son, as you need to be, while still being there as a dad too. And you know, in the grand scheme of an entire life, it'll be a fleck, like you said, mm. a fleck. I you know I've also explored um, how can I you know how can I be falling back on this these pieces to not be my greatest self right how can i fall how can i be using these as excuses to not show up for the rest of the world yes i love my son like a motherfucker and my my parents and my my sister and and her kids and you know and uh, dare i say um a whole lot of other people including my ex just not romantically um and um I don't even know where I'm going with that, bro. Like it's, it's, it's a different kind of leadership, you know, and, and I think in terms of scouring where this could be something where caretaking is a form of control. Um, I need to make sure that I understand that I, I really have no control over this. And so to try to control it is just as much being in denial as anything else. Um, the idea that I choose to be here and then, you know what I tell my son is what I tell my son. But in the few convers in in the conversations that I will have in public, you know, um, I do tell him, you know, when your mom gets old uh, or needs your help, I want you to do what I'm doing. Yeah. Now I don't want you to feel like you're pressured to do it um, if she doesn't want you to. But I want you to to see that that's an option. Yeah. You know, and um, so I, I think that's another thing that like I fully embrace moving forward, um, is that this is all temporary, man. It's this all is, temporary. This is temporary. It's a celebration. It's a long um, life. Yeah, the the joy re- revolution is about, um, you know, what started my joy revolution was I'm living a life full of regrets, and, um. How how do I turn that around? And well, number one is I'm going on a long journey between my head and my heart and getting rid of people pleasing. And it comes back harder every single time, every time I think I, I've gotten rid of it. Um, and also at the same time, like, what does it mean to be a father nowadays? Like there's this archetype of of, of fathers that I saw around the time I was growing up um, in, you know, watching Michael Jackson. The family ties dad, the this dad, the that dad, you know, um, we get to grow up in an, in an age where, um, you, you know, uh, oh, what is it called? The, the, the Friday night TGIF dads, right? Um, you know, those, 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 those dads that were physically present. And now the, the choice that I've made 
uh, is a choice in which energetically I have to uh, continue to show my son that I'm present with him at all times. Um, and also at the same time, having very, you know, pretty much growing the fuck up and having some conversations with, with his mom about what it means to, to uh, raise this child, um, to make choices, um, and also at the same time within a place of discipline, you know, and um, I, I think there's a really great balance there. Yeah, for sure. So, for sure. I, I think that's it. a different form of leadership, though. It absolutely is. I'd like to explore that. Not here. Within, <laughs> the, within the joy rev. Here, we're, we're in the vortex. We're so deep in it. Let's get a little more positive here. We talked about some heavy stuff, stuff that, that, that makes that us who we are. positive. Heavy stuff can it, still be positive. It is. Well, that's what I was going to say. This is stuff yeah. that makes us who we are. And yeah. when we look at the positive spin on everything, and it's not about putting a spin on it. It's about really finding the joy in the decisions you make, the joy in why you do things, the joy in everyday life. If we look at our lives in that way about the joy in every moment, I think it can really help us to grow as leaders, as human beings. And so all of these choices, everything that you did, they led to a ser series of events over the last year since I've known you, year plus, where you started using speaking as a platform, although you've always been a speaker, uh, whether it was in your <laughs> academic days, you know, the nonprofit that you, you ran. You oh, know. man. Yeah, we're going back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You've always been a speaker. You and I met Speakers Who Dare 2019, the, the inaugural, which used to be TEDx Lincoln Square. We were yeah. brought together through a series of events, uh, TEDx Lincoln Square, um, I applied to, and somewhere between the time I applied and I got accepted, they had transitioned to Speakers Who Dare. They left the TEDx platform. Probably one of the best things that ever happened to both of us professionally because we not only got introduced to each other and the bromance started, but we got introduced to a, a slew of people that have really changed our lives. Of course, we're going to shout Trisha Brooke, who who is is so incredible as as a leader and have really seen the full spectrum of her leadership as of late because Mark and I, when we met her, were both in positions where you know, she was our executive producer for an event we were speaking on. So she was our leader, our mentor in this situation. And, you know, as my friendship has evolved with her, I don't know how you feel about it, Mark, but it's gotten to a point where she has had moments of coming to me for, for, for things that I may specialize in, skill sets that I may have, mm -hmm. and look to me as a colleague, as an equal, as maybe a mentor in other things, you know? And so that full range of leadership where you can not only lead people, but let them lead you at times. I saw it. We were both on a, on a conference call that I held last week. We did a, a business mastermind call surrounding the coronavirus crisis about how business owners should be dealing with this within their businesses. And, you know, she gave herself to the process as did you, um, where I wanted to lead the conversation yeah. and, 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 you know, uh, and so people like Trisha that we've been introduced to through Speakers Who Dare and, of course, the event itself, which was game-changing for all of us, not only in terms of our missions, our joy revolutions about getting them out there, but just the, what we've learned being on platforms like that. My gosh. Um, yeah. I, I mean, uh, I mean, leadership-wise, yes. I, I, I'm so fortunate to have folks like um, you and Trisha, Nikki Bruno, 
um, Herman, all, Keith, all these folks that are, are, are kind of, I, I feel like are in our space right now, you know, and, um, uh, you know, to, to see, uh, something that was on a split speaking platform literally six weeks ago. And within six weeks, it's turned around to something that, um, is broadcast to even more people impacting even more people. Um, it just, it, it, it's inspiring. And, um, you know, w whenever you can work with a tribe that I think during times where you, where it feels like adversity is happening, adversity is the perfect disruptor to really bust out that guitar and write or bust out, um, some of that, those creative skills and, and truly think outside of the box. And, you know, um, it is it is a uh, it is an interesting time when it comes to what does this epoch mean? Is this a new type of zeitgeist in in, in which we are 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 going to uh, things are going to collapse and we we are we are going to have to rethink things? I think it is a it's a it's a new epoch, um, and I don't think it's going to go away. And so, in terms of leadership, I think adding the word consciousness to it. Or mindfulness to it, and I think I'm not sure if that's the buzzword now, um, but there was something leadership that was going on uh, that I saw on the news uh, very briefly. But I do think that leaders can turn to others and say, "You are the best that I know, George, at what you do. Help put me over." Yeah, yeah, that's what it's about. That's what it's about. And the, these are the types of people that we've come in contact over the last year. It started with uh, Speakers Who Dare. It, it continued after that. We started having creative conversations after that, how we can work together, just collaborate a little bit. Got together on, on your live show, The Golden Mike Live, for a few interviews. Got to know each other a little bit better. And then all the while, you were running The Joy Revolution. I don't know if it was the first or second cohort of that, which you co-founded. I watched from the outside. I actually approached you about what is it about, and and you and and your partner uh, at the time had told me all about the program, and it seemed so. It's really what enamored me when we talk about putting each other over. It's really what enamored me in terms of coaching because I never really wanted to coach. Not, I don't want to say I didn't want. I never thought about coaching on an individual level. You know, I own a consulting mm. firm, and I always did executive coaching within our consults. And it's yeah. the same type of coaching, but it's only as of late that I decided to take it to the streets. Um, and it was really, you know, learning your program, learning how much you help people, how cool that program is, how flexible it is. What enamored me about the Joy Revolution was that it was like this misfit version of a coaching program. I've been sort of opened up to the coaching world as of late, as of this last year. And, and I see your program. I see other, the programs that I know of, of the, the people that, that are in our circle, I think they're all super interesting. And then I look at some others out there that are these very rigid, like, you know, this is the steps and these are the classes and blah, 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 blah. And they're, you know, a lot of them are bullshit programs. I'm not putting anybody's down out there, but the rigidity of a coaching program when it's super rigid as if it was a class that you were taking online, the rigidity of some of these programs is what, for me, because for me, not all programs are for me, 
they are what turned me off. And when I looked at yours, that was like this, the antithesis of a coaching program where it, it accomplishes exactly what a coaching program is supposed to, but in a very different way, in a very, in a way that seemed very unique to me. It was very, it popped to me. It was mm-hmm. between the font and, and the imagery and, you know, just the optics on the front end were very different. You know, and, and and I thought that was really cool. And then you, you know, with your persona, with the red hair and everything, and then your partner at the time that was um, running it with you, it was it was just so interesting. And I bought into it uh, in terms of wanting to learn more about it. And you were kind enough to tell me how these things work and how coaches can help people. And so as we sort of traveled down that road, I'll take a detour from coaching for a second is where I decided to host TEDx Farmingdale. I was the executive producer of TEDx Farmingdale, of which you not only were you one of the invited speakers, but had you not been invited and applied with that application, 150% you would have made it. You gave your killer talk about extraordinary growth on ordinary days. You know, we've talked about the the process a lot of times on, on all these different shows that we have, and so we don't have to get <laughs> into that. You also at that same around that same time, a little bit later, you gave a talk at TEDx Ocala, and then this is where we kind of started working together. This is where the Joy Bros were born. Um, Joy Bros tag team. You had asked me if I would come on to uh, to coach within the Joy Revolution. Now, at the time, I was starting to build my own platform, the Leadership Experience, um, but I really jumped in because I wanted to learn more. I wanted to go through one of your cohorts and, you know, I had already seen your cohorts before, but I wanted to actually go through one, see what it was like to coach on it, just so I can learn a little bit more. And that's kind of where we're at today, really. Absolutely. I I think that sums it up pretty well. Um, uh, I've always been a little bit of a uh, of, of a trickster and, and, and someone who wants no, not even a trickster. I've been a trickster, but not for not for the joy revolution. Um, the joy revolution was the first place where, uh, there was a departure from the persona of the golden Mike character that I played every day. Yeah. Golden Mike, give me hearts. Right. And it, it was, it was fully embracing this sort of sage and this sort of teacher that I always wanted to be when I was at Emory. That's what I missed so much about Emory. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, at first I masked it in, in the make money coaching program and then I, I just couldn't control it anymore. It, it needed to be something, um, it needed to be something else. It needed to be something that was like a new university. And this is the the orientation or the way that the the uh, you know uh, my co-founder and I had called it was this was your disorientation to life. That first class that we're gonna start tomorrow. Um, and and really talking about what had the fuck the status quo has done to us in terms of getting us to not think for ourselves and giving our power away like we don't want it, you know, um, uh, not, you know, and, and so essentially these huge, huge tuition fees that I had paid to go to Emory and study with amazing people and the neuroscience and, and Corey Keyes' work and then, um, you know, working on, on these flourishing programs I wanted to take it to the streets. I wanted to bring this course to people in a way that they could think about their joy revolutions. This would light them the fuck up and also get them out there um, and, and, and doing some social change. I'm sorry, 
personal growth uh, people, but personal growth is not enough. We have to take our personal growth and move it to a place where sometimes people feel hopeless or they're in fear or they don't have the resources to fucking access um, things like, um, uh, you know, like joy. And, and in, in many ways, people have marketed joy as something you have to pay for and it's boxed and you uh, now you unbox it on YouTube and you're happy for 30 seconds and then they don't see yeah. that you throw away your toy. Yeah. Um, after the unboxing, right? Uh, it's the unboxing that's the best part. How can we live day to day in a state, even when the external world is in chaos, where we're okay with where we're at? Um, what I loved about the program and and uh, the co-founder who was there, um, and and now you who are are here, is that. It's allowed me to fully embrace being the sage, being the guy who mixes the chemicals and seeing the chemicals blow up. That's what universities were for in the first place, yeah. is for us to experiment with ideas. And then once those ideas get polished, to put it on paper and make the invisible visible or to step on a fucking stage. And instead of saying, my name is Mark Cordone, TEDx speaker, we are more uh, focused on the change that we can make in the uh, in the uh, in the world, and that's why I'm so proud to be a, a speaker a speaker who dares. That's why I was very proud to be on TEDx speaking my mind on on what had happened uh, in terms of my seizures, to how those seizures turned into a, a little napkin model, and I have no problem also saying that I had been accepted to a few TEDx's that didn't make sense. Yeah, it felt. It felt not right for me. And I'm glad to see other people walking away from TEDx's too because it's not about the title. It's about the fact that each of us, especially given what we're given right now, the opportunity to be on social, social media and do some social media for some social good, we still can make change from our houses. Yeah. And eat dinner with our families. Yeah. That's it. And so I, I want to just for a minute talk about, and then we'll, we'll start to wrap up. I want to talk about this newest iteration of mm -hmm. the joy revolution right now. It is, yeah. it's badass, dude. It's, it's badass. Sick. So I want to tell people right now, and then I'll, I'll let Mark get into it tomorrow. First yeah. day, free first week, right? You yeah, can sign I, up I, for the first day. Absolutely. Uh, if you just go to the, or no, if you go to joyrevolution.com, just click up there tomorrow's class and our first coaching session on Friday is completely free. And um, so the, the marketers right now are going, oh, he's doing that as a, you know, a funnel, perhaps. And also at the same time, Corey Keyes's piece is the best motherfucking thing I've ever learned. And I can't wait to give it away for free. And I can't wait to coach around that. And I can't wait to show you how social media, how movies, how BMX, uh, biking things, the, the way that he presents that model of happiness forever has changed my life. And the thing is, is that um, you don't need to go through the whole program. You know, if, you, if, 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 if it rings true for you, come, come to the whole program. We'll find a way to get you in. Yeah. But the, if all you need right now is that push let me um, and George just have the opportunity to uh, present some information that cost me a lot of years and a lot of money in higher education searching for. 
I was surrounded by books my entire life. And this one thing that Corey did has forever changed my life. Forever changed my life. And I can't wait to give it away for free tomorrow. So the core class is going to be led by Mark. The joy revolution. He's going to be talking joy theory. He's going to be talking about all that good stuff. Yeah, Um, and and just kind of talk about the joy theory stuff. Um, There's some stuff that that I've created, uh, whether you're a coach or not, but just to take what – to provoke you to think about what you've uh, what you know intuitively and to act on it. I call it a lot of people call it praxis. Go taking theory to practice. That's why this stuff, even the stuff that I've read I've written is just bullshit shelf help until you actually take action on it. So um, it goes from looking inward and being like, what is it that inspires me? And then taking it outward and saying, what is it that ignites me? And then actually taking action on it and saying, this is my joy revolution. This is my declaration. And I'm going to fucking move forward with it. Yeah. And now you've got two coaches that uh, have felt what, it, what it's like to declare your joy revolution and, and, and feel the loneliness sometimes or the, 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 uh, the haters and still push through that. Yeah. You know, what does it mean to bring it to a community? What does that mean? You know, uh, what does that mean to step on a stage? And when you step off the stage, you know that the world is in a better place, you know, and that's where you come in, George. Yeah. Yeah. And I felt it was important. I wouldn't have jumped into this unless I thought it was a place where I could be of service to others. My, my Jesus level, as me and Mark said. It is your Jesus level, yeah. My, which, which. I pet coaches, that's level four. <laughs> level four. Level four. My G, I call it the Jesus. I thought that I could be of service in, in this capacity. And so I'm going to be leading the speaking and writing tracks where we're going to be talking about how to take that joy revolution and disseminate that information through those two platforms. And it's not just the mechanics of speaking or writing, it's a part of it, it's the whole process of it it's the feelings around it it's it's from deciding you want to speak until walking off of that stage from a unique perspective and i'm not doing this in that rigid style right because i wouldn't do it if mark asked me to do that i won't get into it but (laughs) um it it, we don't want that rigid we i i didn't want that rigid style personally Mm -hmm. and so when i could be the rogue coach right when i could be when i could be myself when i could be speaking from experience i'm going to be i'm not going to be a teacher out there i'm going to be storytelling i'm going to tell you my story i'm going to help you find parallels i'm going to share a few tips with you i think it's going to be helpful and i think we're going to have a great time i think there's going to be a lot of self-discovery there it's going to be more than helpful. Um, George, I, 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 have to, I have to thank you on the show. At the 11.59th hour, you know that there were a couple changes in, 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 in my plans for the, the speech. And um, We're talking about Speakers Who Dare today, spe- 2020. Yeah, Speakers Who Dare who went out today. And all I needed was an hour with you. And it completely changed how I embodied the speech within 20 less than 24 hours later you know and it didn't matter how much i knew my lines and stuff like that but like the the focus on be present cordon and embody it you know um and i don't know if you know this but i called up emory professors and yeah. all this other stuff and they were all saying the same thing embody it bro just embody it you know um and, and so I love how the joy revolution has developed 
Um, I pay homage to the people who've come through it. I pay homage to the leaders who've come through it. And I am so excited about what we are about to do and what we are about to witness with um, the folks who are coming through and just say, yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready to find more joy. I'm ready to commit to a life of less regrets. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to hold back. I'm not going to dumb shit down in there. I'm going to give you the actual, um, uh, like the actual references so you can take that and write grants for God's sake, get some money so that we can run programs. Um, we, we are, it's for us a, a special taste. Um, but where we are going, George, my friend, you and I are are the misfits. Um, this is for the misfits. This is for the people, the early adopters who see that the world is not going to snap back like a rubber band when this um, um, this virus uh, has has gone through. This is I, I wouldn't even call this a wake up call. This is a paradigm shift. And when paradigm shifts happen, it's important for us to be creative and to find ways to live in purpose through it. Don't believe me? Read the work of Viktor Frankl, uh, Man's Search for Meaning, when he was in a, a fucking concentration camp and he went and said, you can take everything from me but my freedom to respond to, to what they're doing to me. Man, I can't wait. <laughs> I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Uh, so we start tomorrow. And yeah, come through, guys. Joyrevolution.com. Check it out. Click that link. To get in, to get in on that first uh, that first week free, see what it's about, see what we're about. I promise you that you will. Uh, I'm not going to promise you any any guarantees or anything like that. I I promise you one thing. Promise you, you will be moved by the way that Cordon and I do things. That's that's my only promise to you. And if that moves you in a way that you think the Joy Rev could do you some good and be of service to you, fucking a, do it. Sign up. If not, yep. You know, move on through. We hope you got a good, you know, a, a good week of, of lessons from us. And yeah, by Felicia us. By Felicia us. All right, man. I love it. Uh, we're going to move on to the big three. The big three from the launch cast. Ready? Oh, God. What is this? The big three is your top three. How did These you are... know that I've only slept with three people? <laughs> <laughs> that is an absolute lie. <laughs> I have a I have a nickname for you privately that I'm not going to share here. <laughs> the big three is your top three. These are these are quick, concise. We're not going to go into the vortex here. Okay. Is there a, is there a name for a bro vortex? A bro brotex brotex brotex. I think that's what we've both worn at times on stage. <laughs> brotex, those, yeah. The man spandex. <laughs> <laughs> I wore that too, man. So, um, so big three, top three. I'm gonna, I'm gonna rattle off a few things. I want your top three for each. Ready? Okay. Top three professional moments. Oh, these are tough. <laughs> Holy crap! The speakers who dare today. Uh, number three. Uh, number two. Um, the Joy Revolution. Uh, the first one, um, number one, and it doesn't have anything to do with the amount of money that I made, but the fact that people had said that this was something that was not going to happen for over 20 years at an institution, 
but they, uh, uh, I, I wanted to create a zone of joy at uh, the institution that I worked for. And specifically, I wanted to do it in a residence hall. And the residence director was like, no fucking way. And uh, I remember coming back um, and I was like, it, it was like, uh, you know, that moment about uh, with a check, like a grant check. And then like in uh, Goodwill Hunting where he's like, how about them apples, motherfucker? How right? do you like them it apples? Wasn't, <laughs> and it wasn't like to show him up, but it was to pr- it, it, it was proof that we do not operate on stepwise timelines when we want to accelerate we can accelerate jazz i just saw you like this and she's a she's a great example of what it means to accelerate someone who was given a prognosis uh, of a certain amount of time and the last time i saw her she was fucking on um a a, a, a spin bike after after brain surgery we don't have to put up with the timelines that people give us. We don't have to find our happiness when we retire, uh, like Bismarck said, um, and, and we can find that now. And we can find it in the paradigm shift. So that's the three. All right, next one. Top right. three. This is a good one because I, I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of your, your vocabulary. And, and, I, and, I, and I, I say this for a very specific reason. Top three words surrounding the concept of joy top three single words surrounding the concept of joy oh shit um okay so i'm gonna put a lot of hyphens in here (laughs) of course number three is post-traumatic growth do i have to explain nope okay number two singularity uh Number one, embodiment. Okay. <laughs> and if you want an explanation, everybody, if you want an explanation, you can jump into the first week of the Joy Rev on that. Oh, now, now you're just teasing them. Just I am get teasing in the them. damn thing so we can talk. Ready? <laughs> top yeah. three, top three moments. I don't mean events. I'm top three singular moments in your public speaking singular moments in your public speaking how do you define public like paid Um, in front of an audience of strangers sure yeah okay tedx farmingdale was number three with with a close number four being tedx ocala wow that was both really great events so number two is the University of Florida in uh, 1990-something. Um, and for those who were in the audience, and there was quite a few people, you guys know what I did. Um, number one is, is a spoiler, not a prediction. Speaking at the International Posi- Positive Psychology Association world summit without the phd invitation get at me <laughs> get at me it's not a it's not a prediction it's a spoiler all right next one top 3 now only if this is okay with you 
Top three moments with pop that pop out. Um, so number three was when I was in uh, high school and uh, he, he took me out for a drive. And uh, he's like, you want to get some uh, bicha? That's how he says pizza. Bicha. Um, I was like, yeah. So, so he's, he drives me out. And he stops the car and he goes, um, before we go in for pizza, there's three things I want to tell you or two things that I want to tell you. And it's very Eddie Guerrero. Like if you know that wrestler, mm-hmm. he was like, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal. And I was like, what? He was like, just don't do it. Okay. And as basic as it sounds, it's sometimes hard as fuck, especially to myself, like being in denial sometimes, you know. Um, number two was watching him dance with my my sister at uh, at the at her wedding. And uh, number number one was watching when I <laughs> when I introduced him to my son. Thank you for sharing that. I just know. I know how important he is, and I just wanted to to acknowledge that during this interview because, you know, these things that are important to us, they're all a part of who we are. They're a part of makes us of what makes us the leaders that we are. And forget about just leaders. I know that I always spin everything back to leadership here, but makes us just the humans that we are. You know what I mean? These relationships, these loving relationships, these whether whether they're loving relationships, bad relationships, you know, relationships that we're that we need to learn from at a certain point in our lives and, and grow from. These are all a part of what make us who we are. And, and we can sometimes look at these relationships in real time and see the joy in them. And, and we can sometimes look at them and see the pain in them. And sometimes they're one in the same, the joy and the pain. For, for those that have heard that song, Joy and Sunshine Pain. and Rain. And rain. <laughs> keep it going. Keep it going now. Joy <laughs> and Pain. And so, yeah, so, so thank you for sharing that with me, man. It's, uh, you know, it means a lot that you would be that honest in this. Uh, I was and, close to tapping out on that one. And I'll, I'll end your pain. No, <laughs> I won't. no, no, you don't have no, to. No, no, that's no. Not, with, that's not that, pain. It's, that's, no. Those are tears of joy, man. This yeah. celebration. Yeah, yeah. That's where I, that's where I want to stop, though. That. Okay. So uh, I want to, real quick, we always do our moment, whether you call it the moment of inspiration, we used to call it that. I now call it the spark moment of the week. Spark moments, we didn't get into it too much during this show today, but those that listen to the LaunchCast, spark moments are those moments in life, those pivotal moments that we look at these moments and they are moments that that whether good or bad they let us down a certain uh, path in our lives and so those spark moments are what dictate what our lives eventually start looking like they dictate our leadership they dictate the decisions that we make and so this i i I always call this part of the show the spark moment of the week because it's something where i want to share something that has either moved me during the interview, something that has moved me outside of the interview it used to be where I was, when I called it the inspirational moment of the week, where I would take a piece of a famous um, speech that was made by a public speaker. Our first one ever was by Jimmy Valvano, my, one of my heroes mm-hmm. from that famous SB speech, the don't give up, don't ever give up yeah. speech. And so I wanted to model it after that, but I found some more inspiration through these interviews where I wanted to expand it to the spark moment. And so with the spark moment, 
I want to actually just read a line, two, two separate lines, two separate paragraphs from a song. Okay. And this song is a song that Mark had trusted me enough to send to me. And I'm not going to play any recordings. I just want to read two separate paragraphs from it. The song called I Am The Universe that he wrote many, many years ago that sort of full circle came around uh, recently because uh, I know we didn't talk about it much, but I'll, I'll give the brief description. Speakers Who Dare 2020, Mark was, Mark was part of the 2019 class, the inaugural class. They brought him back for year two. They had to pivot a few times because of the coronavirus stuff going on. And so instead of pivot, evolve, baby, evolve. Yeah. And so instead of a instead of a live stage like we had last year, instead of a live stream, that was the first evolution. They created the Speakers Who Dare movie, which live streamed today. Everybody filmed their own talks. Trisha Brooke put it together so thoughtfully into a movie and and we watched it all today and it was it was so incredible i was lucky enough to to help give uh, mark a little bit of advice uh when he reached out to me last week and so his talk was on panarchy and if you don't understand that look it up listen to mark's talk by that live stream from speakers who dare there you go and this song that he wrote so many years ago became such a huge moment within this talk i don't want to give it away I don't want the only thing I'm going to talk about right now is y'all know what Mark looked like a week ago and you see what Mark looks like now. And this talk had a lot to do with it. Get that live stream speakers who dare.com. I'm sure the links are up there and check out this talk. I'm sure it'll be available in a few weeks anyway on YouTube. But there's a really major part of this talk where he actually goes back to this song. And so two paragraphs I want to read. One is in direct relation to what we spoke about before. So I'm talking to you, Nikki Bruno, talking to everybody that was involved in the conversation about the haters that come out. It says, along the way, I took a look in the mirror. It was unrecognized what was going on inside my head. And I'd self-medicate and I made enemies, but yet what's left of me is love for you, love for you. Take that for what you will, but when you look at those moments in life, those haters, how you're going to deal with it. Think about that. Because if you walk away from those situations, no matter how you treated somebody, and of course, life is all about how you treat people. What's left of me is love for you, love for you. That's kind of how I read that. You know, I'm sure you had it in a totally different way when you wrote it. We'll get into that another day. The second Mm -hmm. part I want to read, and this is a great way to end this, is I am not my accomplishments, nor am I my failures. I am gloriously unique with a worth so infinite. I am the universe. Great way to end this. This is part of my mantra. Part of my mantra, it's you are not defined by what you've done. You are not defined by the mistakes that you've made. But I'll throw something in there. But you must learn from them. Guys. Let me do this the right way. To quote my hero, Howard Stern, you've said it all. You've said it all. I threw out the paper. You know what that means. <laughs> I've seen your movie. You've seen the movie. <laughs> you've said it all. Mark Cordone, George Andriopoulos, thank you, my friend, for being here. An honor to have you on the show and a true honor. It's a true honor to be your friend, buddy. Um, Let's tear some shit up tomorrow. Let's tear it up. Joy Revolution begins tomorrow. 
Have a good night, guys. Launch sequence terminated. Into the black Thanks for listening to the LaunchCast today. Please make sure to subscribe to this feed wherever podcasts are available. Follow me, George Andriopoulos, at Launchpad CEO on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. And make sure to visit our website, guys, thelaunchcast.com. Looking forward to the next episode. See you soon, guys.